0: basically i've got this um, i've got a message and it really sort of i felt it was almost like downloaded a couple of weeks ago in in worship and so i'm going to try and really translate for you and hopefully get hopefully get through it all but if we don't then never mind i mean my uh, my main thing is um, <laughs> what's the word almost like to almost like to just just say enough that Then God does what God does. Does that kind of make sense? Not to get in the way of what God is doing, but almost like saying enough that it opens the door or whatever to bring Him glory. And um, and like I said before, I'm, I'm really excited to be speaking again. Um, our baby boy is four weeks and three days old, and last night he, he did a three and a half hour sleep. So I'm a little bit baby-brained. Hi, Eli and Elena and Tessa are at home. So this morning, I want us to think a little bit about opposites. I've called it East-West. And opposites are something that we learn about quite early in in primary school. Uh, It's sort of like the classic opposites. uh, Light and dark. Maybe you want to call out some opposites you can think of. Light and dark, plus and minus. Hot and cold, day and night, good and evil, sweet and sour, happy and sad, pardon? I can't even hear you, (laughs) Stu. Oh, that's right, they're Jedi and (laughs) Empire. Tea and coffee, um, salt and pepper, (laughs) stretching the limits of what's an opposite, eh? Um, Aucklanders and the rest of New Zealand. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and then there's this one, East-West, East-West, and, the, and the, so we sang a song a few weeks ago, and it goes, um, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, you know that one, Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, and it has this line, as far as the East is from the West, and it, oopsie-daisy, you see there I googled it, the opposite of East is West, you've got to make sure you've got your facts straight, okay? Hey? You do, in this world. Pardon? <laughs> yeah, I know. I wonder how many people have Googled that. Anyway, I have. I'm one of them. Anyway, Psalm 103, 103. Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so does so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's the English Standard Version. Okay, different translation. The NLT, New Living Translation. It says, he has removed our sins as far as us... as the east is from the west. That's pretty far. Passion Translation. Farther than from a sunrise to a sunset. That's how far you've removed our guilt from us. And, uh, and the message says a similar thing. And as far as the sunrise is from the sunset, he has separated us from our sins. So they're all saying the same thing, aren't they? East, west, sunrise, sunset. This is, we're talking about opposites. We're talking about taking the things, our transgressions, our sins, and, and separating them as far as, as far as is possible. As far as is possible. And when I, I was thinking about opposites, and I think that the ultimate opposite of all is life and death. Death is the opposite of life. Death death is everything that life is not. It's the ultimate of opposites. And so when, when we talk about our sin being removed as far as the east is from the west, and then we connect that with what Jesus did, when Jesus died on the cross and he took our, sin, took our sins upon him, and he took them to the grave, That's as, that's as far as possible, right? That's the ultimate opposite. It's like he, he put our sins to death. In first Peter we've got a lot of scriptures today. First Peter says, First Peter number two. First Peter two twenty four. 24. Ah oh, baby brains. First Peter two. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. Now, this is fundamental stuff. Jesus Jesus was sin free. Jesus lived his whole life without doing anything wrong, completely in alignment with the Father. Jesus is one with God. So everything that Jesus did was good, was perfect. And yet when he went to the cross, he bore our sins. So he is this perfect lamb of God, this perfect man. And he goes to the cross and he took our sins upon him. And it says in John, he, there's this moment where to fulfill all things. He goes, it is finished. He, was, he, was, he took our sins and he died. Our sins went with him to the grave. Dead. As far as the east is from the west. This is ultimate opposite. Ultimate opposite. Jesus separates sin from us so that we might live. So that we might have life. He removes our sins from us so that we might have life. He took our sin to the grave. He put our sin to death. Jesus separates sin from us so that we might live. And in the, So we were, singing this, we were singing that song this morning and I was going, As far as the east is from the west, that's how far you have removed my sin from me. That's how far you've removed our transgressions from us. And then I was reminded of how um, the scripture where it says Jesus is, uh, sorry, the scripture says that the the word of God is living and active. And we know that the word of God is Jesus. And the scripture comes from Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4:12, "For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart." And I really love how they, uh, it says this in the King James Version. It says, "For the word of God is quick." I love that. It's quick. <laughs> you don't have to wait around. You don't have to wait around. The Word of God is quick. Jesus is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder. When I was writing my PhD, I tried to use the word asunder, and my PhD supervisors wouldn't let me. They said it was too old-fashioned. But it was like this <laughs> dividing asunder. like It's actually like taking us—imagine this. Like, do you remember Ginsu, those really, really sharp knives? Anyway— you take your Ginsu 2000, and you can chop a can in half. With the Word of God, Jesus, He is the sharp sword, and he, and he separates the sin from us so deeply, so powerfully, so quickly, that it's completely removed, utterly removed, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joints and of marrow. And the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart the Jesus is the living word of God and he removes from us the things that lead to death sin is sin is what leads to death <laughs> sin is what leads to death and Jesus died for us to have life he died and in his death he brings about the ultimate separation of sin from our life because Je- Jesus who is God God doesn't want us to die doesn't want us to die. All through the scriptures, you read it over and over. He doesn't want us to die. He wants us to live and to have life. So um, we know that at the beginning, at the beginning of the story, right at the beginning of Genesis, God made this beautiful world, beautiful Garden of Eden, and, uh, and He placed in it Adam and Eve. And He goes to them, "You can have." anything you want. You can eat from anything you like, but you're not not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you do that, you'll surely die. And for some crazy reason, they were deceived and they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so at that point, this is sin, right? And sin, sin results in death. Well, the way that Genesis describes it is they weren't allowed to eat from the tree of life anymore. So they were sent out from the garden and at the gate to the garden... It says in Genesis that a cherubim, which is a kind of an angel, a very powerful angel was placed at the gate i'm going to turn right to it okay it says this in genesis three genesis three twenty four genesis three twenty four and twenty four therefore the Lord God sent him that's Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. he drove out the man. That's Adam and Eve. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. They weren't able to eat from the tree of life anymore. Sin, is are things that lead to death. <clears throat> and Jesus, he goes to the cross, he dies on the cross. It's almost like he comes under that flaming sword, and he, and he opens up the way so that now we can eat from the tree of life. He went to the cross so that we could eat from the tree of life. God wants us to have life. Over and over again, it says this in the scriptures, over and over. Pointing this thing in the right direction. Ezekiel 18, like we'll look at some Old Testament passages. Ezekiel eighteen thirty one. The prophet says, Cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the the Lord God. So turn and live. And another scripture from uh, Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 33. And you, son of man, Say to the house of Israel, Thus you have said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Have you ever heard that? God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Sometimes we hear a different message that God takes pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not true. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Can you hear, can you hear the Father like crying out, turn from your ways and live? So much love. So that's the old, that's a couple of passages in the Old Testament. Like I say, over and over, there's this, there's this message, turn and live. And we turn to the New Testament. This time we're gonna look at Romans 2, 4 to 8. Another word from another word for turning is repent. Turn from your sin, repent, and in this, this is a scripture. It's in Romans two four to eight. It says, "Or do you presume upon the riches of His kindness and His forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance?" But Because of your heart, and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury." I had to look up what forbearance means because the other day I was in Lower Hutt and there was this um, big billboard um, for something strange and on it it said about forbearance and I said to Tessa what does that mean? Like, I, I kind of know but kind of don't know and so I googled it and it says forbearance forbearance is patience, self-control restraint, and tolerance. it's like when you're kind of like holding yourself back when, when you actually just want to lash out patience, self-control it says or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance god's kindness god's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance why is it kindness why is it kind for god to lead us to repentance 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 is one of those one of those words that sounds like religious doesn't it It sounds legalistic. It sounds like, oh, we don't need to worry about that anymore. And In the Romans, this is Paul writing, he goes, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. It's God's kindness because sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were unable to, they were then unable to eat from the tree of life. Death, another scripture says, death is the wages of sin. It's like if you're if, if sin was a job, then you'd get paid in death. I don't want to get paid in death. I want to get paid in chocolate or coffee. Another scripture said, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six says, the, the sting of death is sin. So if death was a snake or if death was a bee and it comes along and it, and it stings you, the sting results in death. <laughs> the, sting is, the sting is sin that results in death. Death begets death. It's horrible. And so, and so we're kind of going through our lives, and, and we know that we are forgiven because God forgives us, but we still do things that are wrong. We still carry sin. And do you know that that sin is it's death? <laughs> it's holding us back from the fullness of life. And we sang about that in one of the songs this morning. Oh, God, we need your life. Sin gets in the way of that. So the wages of sin is death. The sting of death is sin. And God is kind, and His kindness He reveals to us things in our hearts, things in our lives that lead to death. This is why it's His kindness. It's His kindness because He wants us to live. He wants us. It's almost like He reveals to us where we've been stung, because actually most of the time we don't even know. Sometimes there's the obvious things, like the really obvious things that we're kind of aware of. Like um, I don't know. Getting angry at people when you're driving, or I don't know, looking at dodgy stuff on the computer, or murdering people that's pretty obvious. If you murder somebody, that's a sin, okay? But what about the other things, the hidden away things? They still lead to death. So God's kindness leads to repentance. And so there's this really dangerous prayer, and it goes like this. It's from Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous, grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I dare you to pray that prayer. Because when you pray that prayer, God reveals stuff to you that you weren't aware of that you don't like that you don't want to deal with and you kind of have this choice oh lord am i going to repent am i going to repent and go towards life or am i going to hang on to this am i going to hang on to this thing and lead to death search me O oh god and know my heart Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're talking about eternal life, having eternal life. The Apostle Peter, he put it like this. This is in Acts chapter 3, 19. I told you there's a lot of scriptures. He goes, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Repent that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Oh, I want that, Lord. Refreshing in your presence. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is just—I don't know—like we've always got to hold these things with with the promise at the end of it, eh? Because if you go, "Oh, you just got to repent," you just got to like get down on your knees and sort out your sins before God, and we forget about the promise. Then it then it all it is is like a guilt trip on us. But you look to the fullness of that, and you go, "Lord, I want this part. I want this thing out of my life. Whatever He reveals to you, I want this thing out of my life because the promise is." Times are refreshing. The presence of the Lord. Life. Life. Joy. Peace. The goodness of God. And the Apostle Peter, he's talking from experience. He t- he's talking from what he knows. What do I mean by that? Okay. So I love, uh, one of the things I really love about the New Testament is how you you have the Gospels, and in the Gospels you have these stories about people, and it's from sort of one perspective. And then you also have these letters, and sometimes you hear about things from another perspective. The same people. And one of those people was Simon, also known as Peter. Simon, who was called Peter. In John 18, I don't have these scriptures up on the slide, so hopefully you've got your Bibles. If you turn to John eighteen, and we have in this scene, we have um, Jesus has been arrested, and he's uh, he's on this just this fake trial, right? He's been taken to uh, the high priest's house in the middle of the night, and some of uh, some of Jesus's uh, followers, they 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 follow him to see what's going on and one of those people was simon simon peter and it says i'm just going to read it this is um john 18 verse 15 simon peter followed jesus and so did another disciple since that disciple was known to the high priest he entered with jesus into the courtyard of the high priest but peter stood outside at the door So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So now Peter is in the courtyard, right? He's allowed in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So you can imagine, can you imagine the scene? This big this big house with a courtyard, and it's a bit cold because it's the middle of the night, and they've got a brazier, right, filled with charcoals and fire, and they were kind of standing around the fire, warming themselves. Peter, Simon Peter, who'd been following Jesus for probably a few years had even had even made the declaration you are the christ had even said i will follow you i'm going to lay down my life for you and now he's around this charcoal fire and he's going don't know him (laughs) denying jesus and he does it two more times jesus said to him you're going to deny me three times before the rooster cries before the rooster crows and this is what happens. Simon Peter, he's, he's surrounded by these people. Who knows what he's feeling? Fear? Yes. I'm sure he's feeling afraid. Fear for his own safety. Yes, I'm sure he's feeling that. So he's distancing himself from Jesus, going, nah, I don't know him. And he denies Jesus three times. I don't know him. I'm not that man. I'm not one of his followers. And then if you've read the story, you know that uh, as soon as he denies them that third time, the rooster crows. cock doo Okay, we'll jump ahead into chapter 21. So after that moment, Jesus died, he went to the cross, took upon himself all of our sins, separated our sins as far as the east is from the west, took our sins and put them to death. And then on the third day, he rose again. And we've been, like over the last few weeks, looking at stories of the resurrection, what it means to be living in the light of the resurrection. And this is a story in chapter 21 of what it means to live in the light of the resurrection. Now we have Simon Peter and a bunch of, a few other disciples. And they're, they're doing what they know how to do. They're fishermen. So they go out fishing. And they've been fishing all night, and they can't catch anything. And then it says in, the, in chapter 21 that Jesus sees them. He's, he's standing on the shore 100 meters away, 100 meters away. And he said, children, do you have any fish? you got to, if someone's 100 meters away, how far is 100 meters? If you look out the window, would it be like across the road, maybe on the other side of piers? And if you say, children, have you got any fish? They're not going to hear you, eh? So he, he must have either projected his voice or maybe he spiritually spoke to them. Children, have you got any fish? And they go, no, we've been fishing all night. They don't know who he is. We've been fishing all night. We haven't caught any fish. And he goes in his supernatural voice, okay, put your nets on the other side. So they put their nets on the other side. Catch heaps of fish. 153. Is that right? I think it is. 153 fish. Haul them all in. Simon Peter realizes that it's Jesus. And so what, Simon Peter, he's done this before, hasn't he? He, actually, it's really interesting. So he's been fishing all night. I think he's just got his jockeys on. And it says, um, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He realized it's the Lord. He put on his outer garment for his trip for work and threw himself into the sea. And I was reading this, I was going, that's so strange. It's so strange. Why do you put on clothes to jump into the sea? I don't know. You can think about that. So anyway. Maybe he thought, yeah, I wondered that. Maybe he thought he was going to walk on the water, but he didn't. So he gets wet, swims, swims to the shore. It's Jesus. And when he gets to the shore, what's Jesus done? It's amazing. Here's Jesus. He's on the shore. He's already got some fish. How did Jesus get his fish? Well, he's Jesus. He's got some fish in his, and some bread. Fish and bread. I Think about other stories that talk about fish and bread. I'm not going to. So he's got some fish and the bread, and he's made a charcoal fire on the beach. If you search the ESV translation for charcoal, it comes up three times. Once is this proverb, which is a fantastic proverb. I think it's talking about Twitter. You can do that yourself. The second time is the charcoal fire in the high priest courtyard. The third time is the charcoal fire on the beach. So they're having this charcoal fire on the beach, and he's, and he's making barbecued fish and bread. Oh, this breakfast sounds so good. Jesus does all things well. He's the best chef. And he takes some of this fresh fish, and they fill it in, and they barbecue it. And they finish this breakfast, and then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, <laughs> I wonder if Simon Peter knew what was coming at this point. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Is he pointing at the fish? Is he pointing at the other, these other people around him? Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, why do you think he was grieved? He was grieved because he realizes that Jesus is now bringing to light his denials. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Peter essentially said, I don't know him. And now Jesus says to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. and You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this he said to him, follow me. Do you know what's happening here? This is this beautiful moment. Peter believes in Jesus. Peter's seen the resurrected Jesus. Peter, by all accounts, is a Christian, okay? But there's something in Peter's life that Jesus wants to deal with. He needs to bring it to light. He leads him to repentance. It's his kindness that leads him to repentance. And so three times by this charcoal fire, I love it, the charcoal fire on the beach with fish and bread, Jesus restores Peter to life. It's a resurrection moment. This is what it means to be living in the light of the resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. Sin. Sin. Death to sin. Resurrection moments. Restoration. He's restored. And then Peter He's, he's so restored. Then you read these stories in the book of Acts and even some, he's written some books himself, First and 2 Peter. Read about the kind of man that he became. What would have happened if he didn't have this restoration moment or this moment of repentance with Jesus? Before Peter was so afraid to even have that, that relationship with Jesus, acknowledged that he denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored him, and then he prophesies a freaky, a scary prophecy. He's, you know, that end bit, and he goes, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And, and uh, history teaches that, or um, well, tradition teaches that he, that he was crucified. He was martyred for Jesus to bring glorify God. Jesus is so kind. The word of God leads Peter to repentance. Man, that must have hurt him. No wonder he said it grieved him, because when when God first reveals our sin to us, it's like, oh God, what? I thought I thought I was doing all right, and then you realize, oh my goodness, there's this there's this mark of death on me, and I want to be free of that. I want to be liberated from that. And like and so, the word of God. He cuts that out of Peter, right? living word of God. He separates it. And now Peter's ready to glorify God. God is our kind Father. We sang that this morning. He's our good, good Father. He loves us so much. He wants us to turn and to live. He wants us to have eternal life. And He is inviting us into resurrection moments. And these aren't... (laughs) These are not one off. This is, the, I don't know, the crazy thing, but maybe the beautiful, beautiful thing about following Jesus and about the Christian walk. When we come, when we first come to Jesus, we go, Lord, please forgive me of my sins, and He does, absolutely, he forgives us on our, of our sins. He He cleanses us, and then we kind of like need to walk it out. And as we walk it out, He brings, sometimes He just brings stuff to the to the surface. It's like a crucible, like the gold being in a crucible, and then the and then what they call is it the dross or something? Anyway, the impurity is coming to the surface to get kind of get freed from that. And he wants us to walk it out. And as we walk it out, then we discover more and more of the life in him. Moments of refreshing, times of refreshing, eternal life in him. Resurrection moments. Repentance then is not something to fear. In fact, repentance is something to to run towards because do you know I, at the beginning of the service I, talk, service I talked about how if you feel like you're under attack from the enemy then God's going to turn that around into something good repentance if God leads to your repentance then awesome it's time to celebrate because it means you are going to enter into more and more of life in him it's a good thing if you find you know you go home this afternoon If someone does something to annoy you and you go, oh, you know, whatever, (laughs) you say a bad word to them and then you go, oh, was that in there? Okay, now what are you going to do? This is your choice. God's revealed something to you. Are you going to repent of that? Are you going to turn from that? (laughs) We all all know that there's so many things we can do that, that are sinful, but the thing is, Unless God reveals it to us, it just becomes like this guilt trip. So we invite God to do it and then, and then he invites us into, into life. Repentance is not something to fear. It is something to run towards. Repentance means freedom in life. It means times are refreshing and all the goodness that comes in walking closer and closer in God, our footsteps becoming more and more in sync with him. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. He's the good, good Father. The more we know of His love for us, the more we'll, we'll, this will make sense. Anyway, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your words to us. Why don't we? Why don't you stand? The, I've just been skinning those in their phrase like resurrection moments, resurrection moments. Ah, oh, man, I want resurrection moments in my life, and I have this, I have this, this, this sense of like God. Uh, bringing us to life, bringing us to life means that he that things need to be removed from our life, and thanks thanks be to God that Jesus is the living Word, you know, active that two edged sword he separates it from us. So as we as we sing this song, I encourage you to pray the brave prayer <laughs> this is just it's not anything to do with me or anyone else around you it's, it's sort of what the Lord reveals in your heart This space up the front is gonna be gonna be clear and if you if you feel like you want to respond to what the Lord is doing, you're going, God, I actually want this out of my life, then take steps towards the cross. And again, you're gonna to have to be brave. You're gonna to have to be brave and not worry about what people are thinking. Yeah, people might think, Oh my goodness, look at that person. That's such a dirty sinner. But guess what? I'm a dirty sinner. But Jesus makes us clean. Jesus makes us clean. We cannot judge another person. Oh my goodness, look at that person. They're walking to the cross. Oh my goodness, they're discovering new life. Isn't that terrible? No one's thinking that. (laughs) These are resurrection moments. You take steps towards the cross. It's like, I'm walking towards freedom. Pack yourself here and go, Lord Jesus, you know what's in my heart. Lord Jesus, would you set me free from that pride? Would you set me free from that lust? Would you set me free from all those things that lead to death in me? Father, I want your life in me. Jesus, I want your life in me. Resurrection moments. Don't worry about anybody else. So come, God.